Welcome to the Josh Scanlon Podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. The one question, that's it, just one question you need to ask if you're thinking about hiring a financial advisor. You're in some guy or lady's office, and they're giving you this spiel. You ask this one question, one question only, and how they answer it should tell you all you need to whether or not you want to go forward or not with this person. Now, I've done a video previously on that you shouldn't really be asking many questions at all. Uh, people say, what sh question should I ask a financial advisor? If you see me wincing, I'm just moving this thing over. This, oh, man. And you say, no, no, no. They should, the financial advisor should be asking you the questions. It really has nothing to do with you uh, simply because, I mean, in terms of your questions, it doesn't matter. It's your needs that the financial advisor needs to be looking at, not your questions, your needs. And that means that financial person should be asking you all the questions. But there is one question I'm going to share with you now uh, from the Journal for Financial Planning. Uh, I think this is their May 2018, uh, uh, May 2018 article uh, or uh, issue, and we're going to dive into this here. So don't forget to smash the like button, subscribe if you haven't. So let me ask you a question. Are you looking at hiring a financial advisor anytime soon? Say yes if you are or no if you're not. Either way, the way you answer that question helps me because it does tell the YouTube algorithm that my audience is engaged. That's why smashing and just answering that simple yes or no question would help me immensely because people say the YouTube, the YouTube, that you... <laughs> The YouTube algorithm says, I was going to say, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo, remember the drinks? The YouTube algorithm says, oh, people like what this guy's talking, or at least people are engaged in what this guy's talking about, so that means we're going to show up for other people. So to answer that question, are you looking at hiring a financial advisor anytime soon? All right, so if you are, this is the question you need to answer. You need to ask that guy or lady. And this is from the uh, FPA. They did a study. They do a study every now and again, 2018 Trends in Investing Survey where financial advisors are investing today and tomorrow. Uh, they did about 265 online responses. And I can't remember if I was if I uh, responded to that or not. I think I might have actually, I just can't, I think I did. Uh, but anyway, I can't remember. I'm not part of the FPA anymore, so it wouldn't matter. Uh, so a couple things we're gonna talk about and we'll go back into a little bit more. Uh, this is the question, seeking returns. All right, so you ready? You ask your uh, prospective advisor, Sir, ma'am, how confident are you in the ability of the traditional 60-40 stock and bond portfolio to provide similar returns as it has historically? All right, so let me say that again. How confident are you, prospective advisor, for the traditional 60-40 stock or bond and bond portfolio to provide similar returns as it has historically? There's one answer and one answer only that should be the right answer. And the answer is not at all confident. All right. So we got very confident is 22. Uh, let's see. Very confident is 20% or somewhat confident right here. We got 51% are either somewhat confident, very confident or confident, right? Yeah. Somewhat confident. We got confident, very Yeah. So 22, 51%. The majority of financial advisors of this 265 through the Financial Planning Association said they're confident or somewhat confident or even very confident uh, to provide traditional returns as a historical 60-40 portfolio. That is the absolute wrong answer. It should be uh, I'm somewhat doubtful or doubtful. It shouldn't be confident. It shouldn't be neutral. It shouldn't be confident. Any, there should be no confidence whatsoever. And the reason for that is so, 
It's going to be tough to write on this. The reason for that is solely based on the history, the current interest rates of the 20 of the 10 year treasury. So the historic 60 44 portfolio had basically a 10%. It's going to be tough for you all to see this stocks, 6% bonds in terms of returns. All right. And begin my part of my hand, right? 10% stocks, 6% bonds. Now you could argue and you, you know, it's fine to argue that the stocks will give you 10%. I'm not going to argue that right now, but the bonds aren't going to give you six. The bonds right now are going to give you, uh, as we sit here today, see that we're see that green thing right there That's 2.093 that's 2.1 2.1 2.1 is the bonds there is no way on god's green earth that the traditional 60 40 portfolio even if the stocks are able to get you 10 percent, and no one thinks that's going to be the case but even if they were you can make a case that could happen you certainly could you say earnings growth year over year gdp increase and all that i get that uh but with 2.1 percent bonds no one's going to sit there and say that you could get uh, a traditional return as you could before. Now, how we figure this out is we take that 10% in stock, the 10% uh, in stocks, and we times that by 0.6. It's tough to do this. So we got 6 by 0.1, and then we times by 4, 0.4 by 0.021. All right, so what we do here, 0.02, bear with just a second. I'm going to use my shirt to wipe that off because I made a big old mess on this side. 0.021. All right, so what we're doing here, and again, it's going to be tough to see, but we're taking a 10% is what we expect the return on stocks to be. That's 0.1%. 0.021 is what we expect the returns on uh, intermediate bonds to be. That's 0.021%. We times both those numbers by the 60% we have in stocks, which is 0.6, by the 0.4% we have in bonds, uh, where 40% we have in bonds, which is 0.4. We take our trusty calculator, which is right here. All right, so we're going to say 0.6 times 0.1 equals 0.06 for stocks. All right, so we're going to get 0.06% in stocks plus 0.4 times 0.021 equals 0.008 for bonds. And we add those two together, and we get 0.068. So that would be 6.8%. Right there, that's a so 0 0.06. So we times 0.1, which is how much we expect to get in stocks. I would say that's on the high end, but let's just use that by the 60% amount we have in stocks. That gives us a total 0 0.06 right there, all right, or 6%. So of our portfolio, given that 60% is in stocks, which gives us 10% rate of return we're expecting, that's 60. Our six percent of our return, we should get six percent of our return from stocks. The rest, though, is 0.4 percent because 40 percent of the remaining portfolios in intermediate bonds is paying right now 2.1 percent. It's not going to pay any more. It's not going to pay any less. It's going to pay 2.1 for government intermediate term bonds, and that will give you 0.08. Add those two together, and you get 0.068 percent. Historical return on a 60-40 portfolio is well above 6.8%. Uh, and I, I'd actually even argue that you're not going to get 6.8%. Uh, I'm going to argue get I use 7.5% in stocks. So if we use my number, 7.5% stocks, we get 0.6 times 0.075. And we get 0.4 times 0.021. Uh, oops, yeah, one. 
and we get 0.6 times 0.075. We get 4.5 for stocks, and we add that to 0.4 times 0 0.021, 0 0.008 for bonds, plus, bear me just a second, 0.045. That equals a 5.34% rate of return. So my argument is I'd say 5.3 is what we're going to get because we got 0.6% of the portfolio, 60% of the portfolio is in stocks, which I expect to get 7.5. That gives us a 4.5% return. 40% of the portfolio is in bonds, which I expect to get 2.1%, which is a 0.08% rate of return, less than 1%. Add those together, we get a 5.34% rate of return. And I absolutely think that's true. I think that's what we're getting. So, uh, and so... That's what you ask. You ask your guy or lady, okay, how do you expect to get those returns in? So the, the counter to that question, do you expect the traditional 60-40 portfolio, which is, uh, we'll just say it's given us an 8% rate of return, uh, that going forward we should be able to get the same? And if they say yes, uh, and you want to, the next follow-up would be how do you expect that to happen? I mean, literally, how? Just I would ask, you don't have to challenge it. Because I, mean, I would like to know, how do they expect that to happen? And the only way it's going to happen is if stocks give you a 12% rate of return. There's no getting around the fact that bonds are yielding 2.1%. There is no getting around that. And people say, well, you can go to corporate bonds. All right, well, corporate bonds have more risk. Wow, if, if you're going to bonds, why even go to corporate bonds? If you look after taxes of corporate bonds and government bonds, it's, it's a wash, except for the fact that corporate bonds have a high correlation of stocks because corporate bonds are corporate entities. So don't buy them. Buy just government bonds. If you're going for stuff that gives you a diversification, you don't want something that travels in tandem with stocks. Corporate stocks go down. What happens to corporate bonds? They will go down in tandem, not all the time, but more often than not. Whereas at least with government bonds, there is a flight to quality when the markets get nervous. People go to government bonds when the markets get nervous. Just witness in 2008. Exactly. It's exactly what happened. So, we want to avoid corporate bonds if we're worried about the risk of the market because corporations issue debt, corporations issue stocks. If corporations are having a hard time of it, both debt and stock will be in equity, will be hammered uh, simultaneously, exactly what happened in 2008. What will not be hammered will be government bonds. And why that's the case? Because that is the flight to quality scenario where people say, I'm scared of stocks, I'm scared, I'm scared of corporations investing, I'm going to where the money is safe, the water is warm, and has government bonds. So, two questions. First one, do you expect a 60-40 portfolio that gives the same returns as it has historically? If the answer is yes, and you want to find out what, you know, what's his thinking, I say, okay, how do, you, how do you get that? How do you expect to get that? And if they ramble and they don't know what, just by this time you should leave anyway, but just see what, hear them out, hear what they have to say. And the only way they're going to say is that we expect the stocks to return 12%. Uh, because corporate bonds or uh, government bonds only return two on the 10-year, two and three-quarters on the 30-year. There is just no other way around that. They could say, well, we expect uh, government bonds to increase their yields going forward. And I'd say, why? You expect the, the people to, to dump the prices to draw to drop? Because that's the only way to increase their yields, prices drop. And I'd say, well, what's that? Why? Why do you expect that? I mean, you got to challenge these people, man. Challenge them. Hold them accountable. Because this right here ticks me off. I'm not going to lie to you. When I see this kind of stuff... I'm like, 51% of professional financial planners, according to FPA, is a representative of most, or you know, a lot of these guys are CFPs, expect the traditional 60-40 to reign uh, true going forward. How? 
All right, let's keep going else what they got. Now, another thing that ticked me off about this is that the FPA, the Financial Planning Association, has a lot of CFPs in there. And, uh, and what's happening is the NAFA, National, uh, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, you can't sell commission-based products in NAFA. You can only sell fee-based products. And rightly or wrong, I, I frankly don't care. But at the end of the day, what I did not like is the investments used a third of FPA respondents in this uh, survey used mutual fund wrap programs. And that's just all I see here, my friends, is fees on top of fees. You're paying the mutual fund expenses of, we'll just say on average, 80 basis points, 0.08 or yeah, 0.8%. Uh, and then you're paying another one to one and a quarter. Uh, to the to the uh, advisor, Rick Edelman, they're charging like two and a quarter. It's crazy. And I forget that. So I saw that. And I said, nope, no thanks. Uh, let's see. We have non-traded REITs. 13% use non-traded REITs. Not a fan of that at all. So that just bothered me. Um, and here's the, you can see where the trends are. No one was using ESG funds, socially responsible funds. No one was using that. 2018, 26% are. Uh, they've dropped their non, the number of non-traded REITs from 16% to 13% because people don't like REITs anymore, non-traded REITs as much as they did two years ago. More people are using options, almost a doubling of the options amount. Uh, so that's it's nuts. All right, so another thing. I just want to show you something else which ticked me off. All right, let's go down here. Um, right, uh, okay, about cryptos, we talked about this right here. How often do you reevaluate the asset allocation in your client's portfolio? The answer should be not at all, unless there's a life expectancy or a tax change law. That's the only thing it should be. But here, almost a half said that the economy in general is when I recommend or implement changing or reevaluating, i.e., changing the asset allocation strategy. The economy in general or market volatility. The right answer is here the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Specific investments, no. Administration aspects, no. We don't want any of that crap. The only thing should be a life expectant, a life change, i.e., you know, grandma died, I got a whole bunch more money, and so I can change my current allocation because I have, I don't know, less, whatever, I don't care. Or a tax cut, thing, or even a tax increase, I don't care. But that's the only thing where I retired, I should change it. But a life event should be one of the reasons you change your asset allocation. The economy in general, the fact that half of the financial planners say the economy in general, I just want to, I'd sit there and I'm like, what, who are hiring these people? My goodness, that's nuts. Market volatility should absolutely not have anything to do with reevaluating an asset allocation. Ah, it's just, ah. I continually reevaluate re asset allocation strategy. I typically recommend or implement. Two thirds of people say that. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You say, we need to get X amount of growth. The only way that we're going to get X amount of growth is by this recommended portfolio and stick with it through trial and true. It has nothing to do with your uh, change in market volatility, the economy in general, because we don't know what that's going to lead to. Uh, essentially, don't do this, my friends. Do it yourself. I'm sorry. If you're hiring somebody, let's see. Uh... Let's see here. Uh, okay, so look, we, I, I don't care. We can read this, but don't do it. Hire somebody. Don't hire somebody to do your investments because they don't know any more than what you're doing, as witnessed by these two things right here. Uh, seeking returns. How often do you reevaluate your portfolio, and then uh, how confident are you in the ability to maintain a 60/40 portfolio? Folks, run for the flipping hills. All right, as always, smash.
I'll put a link in the show notes if you have questions, let me know. Do you anticipate hiring a financial advisor going forward? If the answer is yes, say yes. If the answer is no, say no. And if you want to elaborate why on either side, by all means do so. Financial planners should be different than financial advisors. Unfortunately, many financial advisors are uh, financial planners are only investment managers too. And that's, uh, I'll get in that pet peeve later. I will right, we'll see you.